0: prophet Isaiah, in the first reading, is announcing very relevant things for the Israelites of those times. He's saying to them who were exiled in Babylon, this will be over soon. They were living in a foreign land in a great predicament. They were poor, hungry, thirsty, and oppressed. And the prophet has good news from God to them. The time of suffering is over. We're going back to our land. So he says, and I reread a couple of verses. All you who are thirsty, come to the water. And you who have no money, come receive grain and eat for free. Come and drink wine and milk you shall eat well, you shall delight in rich fare. So he's saying, we're going back. Good news I have for you from God. And these were images that they could relate very well with. Of course, they were hungry, they were thirsty, they were suffering. So all this good news were easy to, to understand, easy to pick up. But then in the end, he says, listen, all this will happen that you might have life. That you will be renewed in this everlasting covenant that i will celebrate with you so you know what god was going to do for them was not only about being freed and receiving material benefits but it was about what he wanted to do in their hearts as they went back to the land he wanted a new life for them a new covenant a renewal in the way they lived their lives as chosen people of God. More faithfulness, more joy, more awareness of the presence of God, more love, stronger families, more, you know, more solidarity among the people, more justice. So all these material goods meant something higher and even more important. We are not in Babylon, but aren't we exiled somehow? Aren't we distant from those we love and also from our normal life? I mean, look at you all with masks. You look very weird. Aren't we tired of this pandemic that seems to never end? It's as if the text is saying to us, all you who are tired, all you who are tempted with hopelessness or being down, this is going to end. This has in God's time, a final date is already set. There will be hugs again for everyone and joyful gatherings and school will open their doors and you know, we'll be able to sit around and party elbow to elbow. We'll go back to our offices. I don't know if that's good news for you or not, but that will happen in sports and our normal connectedness. So take heart. The prophet is saying, this will end. But when it ends, know that God wants more than health restored and normalcy regained. He wants to do something new in us. He wants to renew us. I mean, we should not think that God is ignoring what is happening or does anything to do with it, as if he was taking a nap or something like that. He knows what is happening. And he has something for us through this situation. When this comes to an end, something will happen in our hearts. So this is a good question for us, I think. How are we growing in this pandemic? Spiritually, humanly, socially, how are we growing? How are we getting to the other side of this tunnel transformed? In the gospel, Jesus reads what's happened to John the Baptist. He has recently been beheaded by Herod as a clear sign that the conversion of Israel was not going to happen soon. They had rejected John John the Baptist and they would reject him as well for the most part. So Herod indeed killed John the Baptist but there was a society that allowed for that to happen. Herod was not an isolated criminal, but a ruler who was an expression himself of a wider society. Often when crimes happen, we need to ask ourselves, what's wrong with the wider society that somehow allows and produces such things? So Jesus understood that he was next in the line after John the Baptist, and took flight to a deserted place to think and to pray and to mourn the loss of John the Baptist and to recalculate his strategy from then on. Something very important had happened. They just killed the last prophet of Israel, the one who was preparing the way of the Lord. They didn't want to listen from him. So his own mission somehow changed or was different from then on. Scholars point out that from this point on Jesus began to form his disciples more intensely. Israel had rejected John the Baptist and I was going to reject him so there was going to be a new Israel founded upon the twelve apostles so if it didn't work with them I'll do something new. Upon the 12th. St. Paul wonders about this mystery in, in, in the letter of the Romans, and he says, Through their transgression, he refers to Israel, salvation has come to the Gentiles, to all of us. Jesus didn't have much time to mourn, though. He went to the deserted place to mourn and to pray, but he was quick to face the circumstances and to make decisions. We know we know what happened in you know, the crowds, follow him. He took pity on them right away. For all that we know, with this new wave of cases peaking across the country, COVID will stay for a while. That's what it seems like. For sure, it will end at some point, but we also need to recalculate if we haven't been doing that already we reach a point where we are aware that we cannot just keep waiting for it to end. We need to go from like waiting mode to accepting and recalculating mode. As we were preparing with Grace and with Father Lucas and with others you know, to receive these incoming students this fall, last week we came to know that AU Campus was going to be completely online again. So at least for me, this was a turning point, a personal turning point. That's why I'm sharing this with you. Okay, I said to myself, if we want to keep serving our students, we need to recalculate. To go from complaining about the difficulties and limitations for campus ministry to thinking about how are we going to do things better and get to the other end of this pandemic in better shape than before. And how do we, this is most important, how do we lead them to get in better shape through this pandemic? How, we, how do we walk with them in this situation? and How do we keep evangelizing? How do we keep reaching out to the ones who are not coming but are there somewhere, aren't they? Recently, I heard about one parent, parent telling his high school son the same thing. He said to him, you will either slack into a worse student or you're going to be a better one, with everything online again and teachers ready to, you know, be very soft in their grading, do whatever. It will be easier to just get through. You have to decide, he said to his son, if you're going to be, become a better disciplined and self-motivated student or not. But it will be very difficult that you stay the same way. Something changed. Something changed. Circumstances are tough, are difficult, and they're, going, and they're staying with us for a while. What are you going to do about it? How are you going to face them? Face it. So Jesus does make, make a, makes a bold move. He sees the multitude that follow him to the desert, takes care of them, and decides to train his twelve. In a radical, on radical trust. So he begins there and then to form them. He charges them with the command of feeding all of them with very few resources. We heard the gospel, no? They come to him and say, Lord, it's late. What do we do? Send them away. And Jesus says, Don't just complain or dismiss them, but do something about it. Feed them, feed them yourselves. I heard this word as I was preparing, this, this word of the Lord hitting my heart as well, as I learned that, you know, students are not, were not coming. How are you going to he- feed them? What are you going to do about it? And then, the miracle the vertical factor that they could not anticipate. He multiplies fish and bread, and everyone is fed abundantly the messianic age foretold by the prophet by isaiah was happening there and then in front of their eyes they were seeing the lord multiply an abundance for every one of fish and bread so much so that 12 wicker baskets were full of leftovers and I think God will do the same to us if we trust him. If we accept the radical training that we are put on or through, wanted or not. No? We are in this training. Are we taking this radical trust training open with an open heart? Are we embracing this situation, this cross the losses that we, in our lives, that we go through. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. You know, Paul, when he speaks to the Romans, is very, very concrete. Anguish, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. That, that cannot take us away from God. And then he goes on. Neither death nor life. This certainty is so important. Even if we die... That cannot take us away from God. We're going to him. Angels, principalities, present things, future things, powers, high death. No other creature will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are in God's hands. Those are good hands. He knows who we are. We are sons and daughters of the Father in Christ Jesus. He takes care of us. We can trust in him. St. Paul says in one of his letters, I don't remember which, he says, if you are with anxiety, pray, and the peace of God will come upon your heart. Entrust your anxieties to God, but authentically, let them go. Pour out your heart in front of them and accept it. Don't, don't complain anymore, but just embrace the cross and begin to think, you know, what are you going to do to make things better? How am I supposed to serve you now? We can ask the Lord. It's a good question for our prayer. Lord, how am I supposed to serve you in this situation? I don't want to just stay at home. How am I supposed to serve you? Or am I supposed to wait one year maybe to serve you? How am I supposed to grow in my spiritual life? To pray more than before. We have reasons to pray. How am I supposed to grow in my work? Maybe, you know, I can... How am I supposed to, 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 you know, to be more skilled somehow? Or in my family life, to grow in those connections with the ones that I love? or in my service to the ones in need. For example, you know, I live here in the US and my three siblings live in Argentina, but in very different places in Argentina. So we're pretty scattered. And because of this pandemic, we came together by Zoom. It's been years since we don't do that. Like the four of, them, of us together at the same time. No? So we'll find a way to connect that we didn't think of before. So there are opportunities to grow. To serve the ones who are suffering. People are suffering a lot. And they need our service. And he will multiply the fish and the loaves for us. And we will see the glory of God as we do that. We will see him coming to our aid in the battle. I will share with you another example. when this I finish. We in the St. John Society, the community that I belong to, have uh, never been so limited in our capacity to do apostolic work. You know, we love to go out, to visit people, to go into our houses, to be in contact, to, you know, be physically present with people. And here we are behind a screen. We hate it. But we, you know, we, we had to accept it, and we have to, as everyone else, I guess, no? As everyone else, as you for sure, had to do the same. And this year, we had more vocations than ever, than ever. It's amazing. Here in the US, in Argentina, in Italy, in Uruguay, it's like guys are flocking in and trying to you know, apply it to our community. It's the grace of God. It's as if God is multiplying you know, bread and, and, and fish. We, we look at each other and we say, what are we doing? Because we're doing much less than before. The words that Jesus used for the multiplication are Eucharistic, the ones that he used for fish and bread. He says, the gospel says, looking up to heaven, he said the blessing, broke the loaves, and gave them to the disciples. We recognize those words, no? So he was foreshadowing what was going to happen at the Last Supper when he would break the bread of life. So as we move forward with our Mass, what are you going to offer? Offer yourself on the altar. What are your fish and bread for him to take, to bless, to multiply in this situation?